0: But I am so thankful to have my favorite preacher in Pentecost. Yes, I'm a little biased. I'm his brother. But to have my brother who is so knowledgeable of God's word and takes the things of God so seriously. He and his wife planted a church in Watertown, South Dakota. And after giving about 15 years of their lives to seeing that come up, from the ashes, and to be strong and standing on its own, to answer yet again the call of God over the past 12 months and say, Lord, we'll follow you wherever. And now they have let go of the church to his brother-in-law to be the pastor, and they are going to base out of that church to start churches all through South Dakota, from town to town to town. I admire that. I honor him, his wife Jordan, their three children, Noah, Grace, and Eden. We're so glad that they're here. Refuge Church, would you welcome them as my brother comes, and delivers the word. Let's stand together. Let's honor the Lord as we honor the man of God who will come and deliver the word of the Lord for this hour. Praise the Lord to
1: Dios es grande, grande, Amen. Siente por favor la presencia de Dios. Y'all may be seated. You may be squatted in American. It feels good to be in the house of the Lord with the family of God. I like what I feel. There is a liberty in the atmosphere, there is a freedom in the spirit very easy to connect to the presence of God here and I wish I could say that's the case everywhere you go, but it is not the case. This church is blessed. man I I just want to look around. I mean look what the Lord has done. guys finish your building. False. You're beginning to build. You got the brick and mortar, but God didn't give you brick and mortar just so it could be vacated space. You're going to fill this building with souls. You're going to fill this building with souls. It's so good so good to be here, and I don't know if you have a picture of my family, I always like to introduce my family, I love them very much, and I give honor to them. That's my wife, Jordan, this past December 17th will be 17 years of marriage, and uh, then my three children, Noah, Grace, and Eden, and then that little rat, uh, his, his name's Stimmy, Short for stimulus, thank you, U.S. government. (laughs) uh, we got a government dog. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go in the word of the Lord. All I can tell you is uh, church is not a game to me. Christian living is not a game to me. I don't believe we have a long time left. And I want to make much of God's grace and mercy in these last days. And uh, being here this weekend, I, I am under a tremendous burden. And God is going to do a deep work for this church I don't believe it's going to be the depths of all the depths you've ever reached, but I do believe something of seismic matters is going to occur for a number of people in this room, beginning tonight, the leaders tomorrow, and on Sunday. Isaiah 59, verse 16. Reading the word of the Lord. I'm going to read a number of verses. I'm going to read from Isaiah, Ezekiel, James. Romans, I do give honor to Pastor Levine and his wife, served many years with them on the youth committee, I love them very much, appreciate them, I'm so glad that they could be neighbors with my brother, I give them honor, and I love my mom and dad that are here, and I love my brother very much, his sister-in-law and family, I love you guys, God bless you. Isaiah 59, verse 16. He saw there was no man. This is God. God was looking. He saw there was no person. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It sustained him. Ezekiel 22, 30. I sought for a man. God speaking again. God seeking for a man among them that he should make up the hedge. To stand in the gap before me for the land, someone say the land, that he should not destroy it. God does not want judgment to fall on humanity. He made every effort. He looked everywhere, high and low, but the Bible says God found none. The New Testament, James 5, 7, and 8, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth. That's God's view about you. He looks at you and he says, man, you're precious. You're so precious. And God says, I have a lot of patience. The only reason why we're still breathing right now is God's hope is that someone with their next breath will turn to him. That's the only reason why he has allowed this debauchery to continue in the 21st century. He's waiting for one more. He hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. There is an end time out pouring of the Holy Ghost. there is a last day harvest that God has been so patient through the darkest of ages where it seemed the church was but a flicker about to go out but God had patience because he knew there was a rain coming. Romans 13: 11 through 14 and that knowing the time someone say know the time, Someone say right now, right now it's high time to wake up out of sleep. Someone say, wake up. You gotta wake up out of sleep for now. Someone say now. Our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Our salvation experience of new birth acts two thirty eight is not the same as a salvation we long for in heaven. The Bible says, he, That endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And the Bible says our salvation about going to heaven, we are closer than we have ever been. And so now that we're at that point, Paul says this to the church in Rome The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Come on, let's cast off the works of darkness. Let's put on the armor of light. Let's try walking honestly as in the day. Not in rioting. Not in drunkenness. Not in parting. Not in wantonness. Not in strife and envy. Those last two seems to be the struggle within the church, the others without. He says, we got to stop it. We got to get our act together. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Do not feed your carnal appetite to give in, to fulfill the lusts of it. I take us back to verse 11 where I want to focus that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we believe. I have a simple question to ask you tonight. Do you know what time it is? Would you just give God your undivided attention? I know there's a lot going on in our world and in our mind right now. There's things you're thinking about that you need to go back home to tend to. There's there's concerns about what the road condition will be after this service. There's things about tomorrow morning that you got to tend to. But the best way to get God's attention is to give him your undivided attention I would encourage you to put your phone, turn it off, do not disturb, whatever it is you can do for the next few moments and give God your focus. Would you lift your hands with me? Would you close your eyes just to, just to drown out everything that is around you? And would you pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by my might and not by my power, but by the spirit of the living God, I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven and roll back the roof of this church and fixate a ladder between heaven and earth. I pray that the angels of God would ascend and descend upon this congregation tonight. And I pray, God, you do what only you can do. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you give me the attitude needed for the anointing wanted. I want to be anointed, but God, help me to preach with the right attitude in the right spirit. Help me to convey your emotion right now, God. I pray, Lord, every heart that is in this room, Lord, that it would be tender. I pray every ear would be open and scales would come off of eyes. And I pray, God, that you would give a heart of understanding and release a spirit of receptivity and I pray God that a gift of revelation would be in this room and Lord that there would be a consensus in this house that we would be of one mind that we would be of one accord in this one place tonight and the one Lord the one true God would have his way come on would you clap your hands to the Lord and call on the name of Jesus that name that is higher than any other name Somebody say in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you know what time it is? Some are more occupied or concerned with time. Others don't seem to ever think about time. They don't ever think about being early. And when they're late, they didn't even think about that they were even late. They were just there on their own time or unaware of it. And if you're not careful, you could be completely oblivious to time, which may sound like a dream to not worry about anything, but time equates responsibility if you're conscious of it. When I drive uh, to the airport, uh, many of the times I have to get up very early, about 3 a.m. to catch the earliest flight to fly out somewhere because I got to drive about 100 miles. And uh, I I get up at three because it just takes me a while to wake this carcass up. And the other thing is I have a routine and a ritual that's very important to me. I, I like to to spend a little time in the Word, and I like to do it with Hebrews. I like to brew me a cup of coffee. I know it sounds selfish and carnal, but there's just something about the perfect cup of coffee with God's perfect Word. And uh, one morning, I remember I I brewed that coffee, and the aroma just began to awaken me, alert my senses, and anticipation came over me. And as I got that cup and I began to read the word, I just got so immersed in that beverage and so immersed in the bread of life that I lost track of time. I became unaware of the hour. And all of a sudden, I just kind of came to and I looked to see what time it was. And I realized I am going to miss my flight. I'm not going to make it. And I, 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 even though it didn't seem like I was going to make it, I still jetted towards the car, and I booked it. I went as fast as I can. I drove the speed limit. My wife kind of mocks my grandpa driving, but I, I, I tend to pay attention to the laws of the land because I can't afford to pay the consequences of the land. And so now it's just kind of burned in me, but... As I got on the interstate, the good thing about South Dakota, the interstate's 80 miles an hour, and uh, I I started trying to do some math of how long it would take to get 100 miles less than an hour driving 80 miles an hour, and uh, I could kind of do math because I wasn't homeschooled, and uh, just kidding, My, my kids are homeschooled, they don't know math either. But I'm like, okay, I can't get a hundred miles in less than an hour driving eighty miles an hour. Does that make sense? Y'all know how does does the Illinois math system work around here? It, it is not going no child left behind. It's not going to work. This is not going to happen. And so I, I I'm I'm really panicking because this is my fault, and I'm supposed to be at an event that night, and I I don't want to. Make, I don't want to, you know, eat crow. I, I, I feel terrible, awful. And I'm like, man, I'm afraid to go 100 plus miles an hour to get there. It would be like around 120 an hour to get there on time. And I'm just like, God, I, I need a miracle. I Give me an Acts chapter 8 miracle. I believe your word. I believe in that transportation kind of stuff. I've even heard a missionary story from Bruce Howe that when he was a missionary in El Salvador and there was civil war going on that uh, the, 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 these, uh, I can't even think of the word right now, these renegades put up a barricade to stop vehicles and they would plunder the people in the vehicles. Someone lived, someone not. And some would be taking an abuse. The abuse would happen to them. And he was in the car with his wife and his heart's pounding what to do, what to do. And the Lord told him to drive forward. And Bruce how put the pedal to the metal and drove forward. And God lifted up the car and he flew. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I choose to believe that we serve a God who was the same yesterday, today. And forever So, my like, God, I, I I need that angel you sent, Bruce. How I need that angel you sent, Philip. I will take I'll take even a rookie. I'll take anything. I'm praying, and all of a sudden, as I'm praying, whoosh, I mean, a car flew. I wasn't sure if it was a car. I was like, that could have been an angel. There was only one way to find out, so I tried to catch up with him. And I never could quite catch up, but I could always see the taillights. I didn't even look at what miles per hour I was, but it, it, I think it was more than what I've ever driven before. But I was curious to see an angelic being, and that angelic being made it all the way past my exit, and I made it to my flight. I'll never report that to the government, but I'll take their government check to get me a dog. It's the danger of being distracted, oblivious to time, because time is to try to keep you in sync, in rhythm. It's trying to keep you responsible or accountable. It's why we must know The time. Now, we may not like the time we are currently living in. If you've been alive here the past two years, there's a lot about this time we do not like. But it is important that we understand the time that we are living in. You don't have to like it, but it is important for you to understand it. It has been a time, it has been a season of death. It has been a time, a season of fear. It has been a time and season of uncertainty. And we just keep hoping that it's just all going to go away. And we're trying to keep ourselves as distracted as possible, just hoping that our distraction keeps us in that state of mind long enough that all of a sudden we're like, oh, it's all over. Okay, back to life. But that is not the most responsible thing that you can do in this hour and in this time. The Bible talks about seasons and times like this. I would encourage you to maybe write these three verses down and refer to them later, but I'll read through them. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2 in verse 3 in verse 4. It's written, some would say, by Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. It's My opinion, he wrote it, but doesn't matter. It's just definitely a man that has much wisdom and much experience. And in all of the things that this man has been exposed to and seen, he drew this conclusion. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. In modern day terms, he goes, it's better for you to go to a funeral than to go to a party. I mean, if, if I went up to you, I'm like, hey, bro, you want to go to a funeral with me? Or do you want to go to a party with me? I mean, what do you think you're going to want to do? You want to go stare at a dead body in a casket and, like, be around people sobbing and weeping and then get bad food afterwards? Or would you rather go to a party where you're going to laugh have a good time, and man, they're going to have some queso and chips. I mean, it it seems like a no-brainer. Which one do you want to go to? Be happy or be sad. But the wisdom of this man under the inspiration says it's better to go to a house of mourning than the house of feasting because he says this is the reason. This is the end of all men, and the living need to lay this to heart. It's one of the rare times you actually, while you have your health, begin to think about one day you won't have it. Because you're sitting in the presence of someone, most likely, that you knew. You have known not for minutes or seconds. You've known them for years. Perhaps you've grown up with them your whole life. They could have been a contemporary, a peer or that was your father who you immortalized as a child, that indestructible force, that powerhouse, and now you see their body, just a shell of a person in a casket. Starts messing with your head. And you think about questions you don't typically think about. Where are they now? What happens after you die? Well, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? If there is, where did he go? Things that you don't think about at the party. Things you don't think about at the feast. Things you don't think about while everybody's laughing. But in that moment, and I believe it's one of the very sad things that occurred over 2020 and 21 and number of places that were not permitted to even have funerals. I believe it had a detrimental effect on the human psyche when somebody they love, somebody they knew passed away and they could never have that moment of closure where the mind engages the heart and the heart engages the spirit. There is consequence to that. People were not able to process Properly, People weren't able to hear a message from a preacher in that moment. Or even the absence of a preacher, if it was a pure auditorium of atheists, there's still something that penetrates every human mind in that moment. And he says, it'd be good for you to go to a funeral every now and again. There's some people who refuse to go to funerals because they don't want to deal with the emotion and so they'll go to a party they'll go to alcohol they'll go to drug they'll go to illicit relationships just to distract themselves from engaging that very somber moment that has a refining influence upon the heart that nothing else in life has he says in verse 3 sorrow is better than laughter. What? I mean, I I would say I would like to laugh instead of just be so depressed. But he says the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better, that refining influence. So the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the fools are in the house of mirth. See, a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool only thinks about having a good time. There's wisdom. I, 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 I promise you, even though I have went through life the past two years differently than you, it's not a boast, it's just a reality of where I live. I live in South Dakota. It's the only place on planet Earth that never had mandates or restrictions or lockdown ever. It's a completely different world. Where I live, I didn't have to. I could not imagine going through what you all have went through. It is foreign to me. It's a completely different life that you have lived. And I'm sorry that you have had to go through it. But I want to encourage you not to try to be distracted in these two years. Now, not, you need to know what time it is that you are living in. You may not like all the... Raise your hand if somebody that you have personally known, whether it be friend or family, that has died from COVID-19, raise your hand. Look around this room. good 80% or more have had someone close to them. How we dislike the time we are living in. But I can assure you this, you can learn something from the time that, that you are living in, there could be a provocation of the spirit that begins to birth something in you that was not birthed before. I don't celebrate their death. I'm not rejoicing in your loss, but I want you to know before you shake your fist at God and before you just try to be distracted by a Netflix binge and just hanging out on social media and other matters just to keep your mind off of what's going on, God is saying, I want you to attend the funeral. I want you to attend those sobering thoughts. I want there to be a refining influence on your heart so you know that you are mortal, that you are temporal, and there is a location that is eternal, and you've got to wake up to that. Can you lift your hands for just a moment? I'm going to try to move along here. Would you lift your hands? And with your hands, can you accompany that with your voice? Can you accompany those hands with voices? And can you make those voices audible? And can you let the sound of a serious heart reach towards an eternal God that is listening to every syllable that is proceeding out of your mouth right now? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, arrest our attention in these next few moments. Metareca <speaking> lianamos someone say in jesus name I feel a burden on my heart church we we gotta wake up and know what time it is that we are living in and stop just thinking that everything we do is all right i, I I'm not here to come to slam damn condemn and try to make you feel like some worthless punk that ain't doing nothing and you're going to go to hell in a handbasket. That's that's not that's not my purpose. That's not my motive. But I do want to kind of you to get engaged with your thoughts and with God and understand that if we keep living at just the minimal requirements of Christian living in Jesus name, I believe you can make it that way. You can get there, but you're not promised to get there in that type of manner and spirit. You got, the, you got a picture, uh, like a house? You got that? You see that white house? It's hard to miss because everything else is destroyed. That was three years ago at Hurricane Michael. And basically on the Gulf Coast, there in, in, in Florida, there was a horrific hurricane that came and just mass destruction everywhere. And when the storm passed and they began to survey the region, the land, they found that house and it just it stood out like a sore thumb and and people were curious about what was the difference of that house versus every other property that was on that shoreline right there. And they found the owner and they began to engage him in conversation and ask him some questions. They found out it was a retired doctor. He had just retired and he was building his dream home on the Gulf shore there. And as he was building that, uh, or he desired to, he basically began to research what it would take to build there. And there are expectations. If you're going to have a business or you're going to have a home, it was building code requirements for storms that go through that region. And so you had to meet all the building code requirements to live there, and to build a home there. And it had all these expectations, and so he looked through all of that and what they would survive. They would sustain through, you know, 120-mile-an-hour wind, 150-mile-an-hour wind. But he said, you know what? I, I want to build something that just in case the big one comes, we can survive it. And so he began to not only do what the building code said, but he began to do research on how to make it even better in an impenetrable force. He went to the detail of looking at types of screws to use to buckle things down. He reduced any nook and cranny. He tightened down on the house to make sure no contrary wind can enter into the house and rip, rip the roof off. He wasn't concerned about trying to have just a high, flashy-looking home. He wanted to have a lasting home. And one, uh, and one other thing he did, there's a lot of things he did. I'm not going to go through the building requirements and all that stuff, but he dug 40-foot pilings into that ground, way beyond the minimal requirements. And one of the key motives that he had was, I want this to last for generations to come. What I'm doing now is not just for me, but it is for generations to come. I want my children to to enjoy this home, and I want my grandchildren to enjoy this home, and I want my great-grandchildren to enjoy this home. I'm telling you there are seasons of storms that come, and in the name of Jesus, if you're living at the minimal requirements, and you never go through a storm, God bless you. I'm going to dance on that side of heaven with you, but who knows? This is what I strongly feel in the Holy Ghost. You think 20 was rough and 21 was rough and you think you see the silver lining of 22 I'm letting you know in the spirit a greater storm is coming against the church a direct storm is coming against the church and you might live right now at your building code of Christian living but you've got to get some deeper pilings and you got to tighten down some things in your home because what you're going to go through is greater than any storm, but I promise you, if you know the time that you are living in, you will have something that lasts, not just for you, but for your children and their children. I want to build my house on the rock. Woo! Ah, I want to get to heaven. I know Acts 2 is the way. I know this one God message is the way. I know holiness is the way. <laughs> but I want something that's going to endure to the end. There's a story in your Bible. It's found in 1 Samuel 25. I'm not going to read through it verse by verse, but you could write it down and look through that story just to fact check me down the road. But there's three main characters in this story. David, Nabal, and Abigail. David means loving. Nabal means fool. And Abigail means source of joy. David, loving. Nabal, fool. Abigail, source of joy. David is the anointed king at this time. And he is out warring. And as he's out warring, he would encamp his men around the property of a very wealthy, affluent man named Nabal. Nabal had a lot of stuff. He was living high on the hog. And David protected that land without ever that man knowing. And one day, Nabal wanted to begin to have a party. It was a season of shearing the sheep. They would give all the sheep a haircut. And it was a time of celebration, rejoicing of abundance. It would be like you basically saying, Hey, check what's in the account. Whoa, dude, got a lot of money. And let's just count the money. And after you count the money, you're like, we got so much money. Let's just like, let's just burn some of it. And so they had a party. You think you've had a party. They had a party. This party so prolific, so amazing. Everyone's having a good time. And David hears and sees the party. David's like, man, we oh, we just want a little something to eat. Use some, some beverages. It'd be nice to maybe be appreciated for protecting this man's land so he can have such abundance. So David sends two messengers to go after to Nabal and make a request. Can we have? Can we have something to eat? Can I have something to drink? Is that right? Simple, simple request, right? The guy's got so much money. And so the messengers goes and they go to Nabal and say, Hey Nabal, you know, David the anointed king. It's kind of a big deal. You like a, maybe a capri Sun? Some sun chips? Please? Mott's fruit snacks? Topo chico? Mm. And you think Nabal will be like, oh yeah, sure, no big deal. Nabal has a royal fit. He flips out. What? David. There are a lot of people claiming they're the king. There are a lot of people claiming there's some sort of powerhouse. I don't know, David. He's my Capri's son. You're my son chips. My food has my Tesla. He ain't getting nothing. And he sends those servants off. And those servants go back to David, and they tell David what Nabal said. And David hears it. David, who is loving and kind, all of a sudden flies into a rage. He says, every one of you men, get your sword now. We're going to Nabal's. We're gonna wipe them out. Won't be a man alive. They got on their horses and they start charging towards Nabal. While that's going on, the servants were on the around Nabal when this whole exchange happened. And so they they went over to Abigail, that source of joy. And they said, Abigail, your husband just turned down David, the anointed king, the warrior the minstrel of the Most High, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And Abigail goes, quick now. Get all the beverages you can. Get all the drinks you can. Get 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 all get all the food you can. Now, 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 move now now now. We gotta go. And she gets on her mule, her horse, and she starts charging towards David. And David and Abigail meet halfway, and she falls off of her animal and she lays on the ground and says, "David, please stop, stop, stop." And and David gets off of his horse and 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 and, and he he talks to her, and she begins to plead that. David would not destroy all those people back there. And she confesses that her own husband is a fool. And David is moved and he says, okay. And he receives all the gifts that are brought. And there's no destruction that ensues. I believe the spirit will help us to see something in this story here. David represents Jesus. Jesus. Nabal represents the world and Abigail represents the church. We have lived in a season on this planet and this world in abundance. We have lived in an extended season of the shearing of sheep, counting all of our wealth. And you may be the less amount of income in this room but if you're here and you make over $19,000 a year you're still far surpassing every other country that their medium income is 5,000 in a month for them and if they're in third world it's a thousand or less you at $30,000 a year are the top 1% richest in the world. Think about that. Made you think a little differently when, you know, Jesus says, you know, hardly will someone that's rich enter through the kingdom. (sighs) Yeah, get them billionaires, God. No, God's talking to you. There ain't never been a time where we have had such money and abundance and blessing and riches. And all of a sudden Nabal's just parting and enjoying and, and, and without even knowing this world the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. From the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. See the husbandman has long patience for the first fruits. He just wants to see See first fruits. Just a little appreciation. And so, David. Jesus sends messengers. Jesus is always sending messengers our way. Jesus is always sending preachers our way. Jesus is always sending missionaries our way. Jesus is always sending evangelists our way to give us a message and say, hey, hey, I I see that you have a lot of good. I see you're really blessed. And all, all we're asking for is that you would return the thanks to the anointed one. Would you let the anointed king, that loving source, Would you let him know that you attribute it to him? Because the Bible says David was as a wall around Nabal. The only reason why we have any good thing right now is we have a father who is in heaven and he has given us our daily bread. He's been ignored so long And he's been fighting spiritual wars for your soul so long. And we've been parting the entire time without even realizing that we are in the center, surrounded by a spiritual warfare going on. And we are oblivious to the time that we are living in just by enjoying the abundance, enjoying the comfort, enjoying the health, enjoying the blessings. And all of a sudden, Abel, this fool of the world, says, I don't know who Jesus is. What has Jesus done for me? Who's God? Who is this Jesus? I work for this. I went to Harvard. I went to college. I got that skill. I got that promotion. It's my money. It's my life. I ain't giving to Jesus. Jesus. I ain't giving no church, bunch of money-hungry scumbags. And the messengers come back to Jesus, and they say, "Jesus, this is what he said." And Jesus, David means loving, but understand that there's another side to that coin. He is a line of the tribe of Judah as well as the lamb. He's the lion and the lamb. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. And God can only be rejected so long after giving us so much where all of a sudden he gets worked up and he says, Gabriel, Michael, get your swords. We're coming to that world and we're bringing judgment to a foolish world given into marriage and drinking and partying. We're bringing judgment to them now. And all of a sudden they get on their horses and they start charging towards Nabal. They start charging towards the world. But Thank God there was someone else there.
0: The source of joy was there. The church Was there. And all of a sudden,
1: Abigail, she did not hesitate. She dropped. Everything you know, why she knew the time that she was living in, and she knew it would not take long for the king to come to the world. It's not going to take long, and it's not going to take him much to judge this world. And so, I've got to do something. Hey, come on, church, come on, servants who wants to serve with me? Come on, let's bring a sacrifice of praise, let's bring a little offering to him. Let him know we love him. Him. Let's fight for this, this people right now. And Abigail starts charging. And the saints and the servants start coming with their offerings. And there's this beautiful collide that's about to ensue. And Abigail falls. He says, oh, David, King, Jesus. Please, hold back judgment. Hold back judgment. Receive these offerings. Please, please, I know the world is a fool. I know the world rejected you. But there's some innocent people there that aren't ready. They don't know. They haven't heard. They didn't get their chance. Just please receive this. Let this appease the wrath of the line of the tribe of Judah. Please let me let them know about the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of this world. Would you receive it? And Jesus, the king is so moved. He stops everything. Because he has love for that fruit.
0: And he says, Abigail, thank you. Thank you. And they withheld judgment. You know what's interesting to me?
1: Is Abigail would have escaped judgment. Davis, that's only wipe out the men. You can escape the judgment coming, but everyone that you see on a day to day basis that you interact with, they're not. They're not. I thank God to be a part of the church. I thank God there was a missions church that my mom and dad found. I thank God for the church. And the church right now is living in an unprecedented hour unlike ever before. The United Pentecostal Church, this oneness movement, this apostolic faith is more affluent and abundant than it's ever been. Abigail could have kept parting. And enjoying all the abundance and the wealth. And she would have been okay. And if we're not careful church. We can enjoy the same faces. The same people. Every Sunday. And we're going to be okay. And I thank God you're going to be okay. I thank God you're going to go to heaven. But there's some people that are not going to heaven. I want to celebrate this building with you. I want to celebrate these beautiful chairs with you. I want to celebrate this beautiful sound system with you. I want to celebrate this beautiful screen presentation with you. I want to celebrate that foyer. You guys have done everything first class. God has blessed this church with riches unlike any other time you've ever experienced since the inception of this congregation. And I don't make fun of you. I don't mock you. I rejoice with you. But if we are not careful, this is just going to be our little facility for our little club. And we're going to rejoice and celebrate and hear great sermon after great sermon and the sound of the trumpet. We're going to go up. But when we go up, the king is still coming down here and he's going to judge every single.
0: Can you lift your hands for just a moment? I'm just about done.
1: I I wish there would be a voice or two that would rise in this room right now. I I wish there was someone that would realize what time it is that you would understand the hour in which you are living in. Bible says, see what Abigail was on that day, church, is what the king's been looking for, for thousands of years, an intercessor, someone that comes between the judge and the world. And that's the job of the church is to be an intercessor, to stand between the coming wrath of God and a church that's not ready to meet their God. That's what God's put on you. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation as an intercessor to bring people into the state God wants them to be in right with him. And because she interceded, the king withheld And received the sacrifices. The prayers that were brought. The fruit that was brought. And him and the angels went back. And said okay. Okay there's someone there. And I'm going to honor their prayer. I'm going to honor their request. I'm going to honor their intercession. The Bible says. Abigail that source of joy. The church went back. To the world. And after the party was over. The message went throughout the entire house. But there was one person that still didn't hear it. Nabal. So Abigail told Nabal, the last person yet to hear. And when the last person heard, the Bible says Nabal's heart froze, became a stone, and he died. The Bible says When this gospel goes to every single person, then shall come the Son of Man. And you know what happens in that moment? Nabal dies. The king returns. Who does he come for? A bride. He gets the church. He gets Abigail, his source of joy. And the marriage of the king and the church takes place. Jesus is coming back, church. Do you remember that? I'm afraid that we have fallen so in love with life that we're afraid of heaven. We have so we are so enamored with material that we don't even think about heaven on a weekly basis, a daily basis. It's maybe been months since you thought about the afterlife, church. There's something wrong because he who has this hope in him, the Bible says, is purifying himself. Because you realize there's a hope you don't want to miss. I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss Jesus. So I'm daily. I'm going to go. A little deeper. I know I went 10-foot pilings, but I'm going to go 20-foot pilings. You know what? I went 20 feet last year, but I want to go 40 feet this year. I thank God that we've gone deeper, but every year there should be a little more depth to us. There should be a little more tightening down in us because Jesus is coming back, and not everybody is ready. I've got to get my boss ready. I've got to get my coworker ready. I've got to get my name. So I'm here to remind you. Are you listening? Jesus is returning, and our attention must return to righteous living and lost souls. I'm going to say it again. Listen closely. Jesus is returning. And our attention must return to righteous living and lost souls. There's not much else that really matters right now. I I know there's some 401K you're thinking about. I know there's some retirement you're thinking about. I'm not against any of that. I know that there's some college you're thinking about and education. Nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, may our primary objective be righteous righteous living lost souls. Righteous living lost souls. Righteous living lost souls. Let's stand together. Musicians, you don't need to come right now, please. I want you engaged in this moment, please. Thank you for your ministry. I want to read some verses to you.
0: God, wake me up. God, wake 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 me up. Wake me up. Wake me up. Wake me up. Hosea 2, 6. Hear the prophet of the Lord in verse 6 and 7.
1: I want you to listen, Abigail. I want you to listen, church. I want you to listen, praying mother. I want you to listen, praying father. I want you to listen, praying teenager. I want you to listen, praying child. Listen to me. The prophet said, the Lord spoke to him, I will hedge up your way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. Your prayer may not seem like it is doing much, but the Bible says, the Lord showed the prophet a revelation that when you intercede as Abigail, when you intercede for that one that has left you, know this that your prayer is planting seeds and those seeds will sprout and they will become a hedge of thorns like a barbed wire fence and your son that's running from this truth, your daughter that's running from this truth, your child, your grandfather, your uncle, your friend who left the youth group, they're running as far as they can to find some pleasure in this world. The Bible says your prayers will get ahead of them, and they will be like thorns around them, and all of a sudden they'll come to a halt. They can't They can't get over it. They want to, but something keeps pricking them. Something keeps pricking their. I think Jesus says something like this, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard when something's bucking your spirit. The Bible says even that in verse 7, she's going to try to go after her lovers, but your prayers will not allow her to overtake them. She's going to seek them, but not find them. And she will come to this conclusion. Okay, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. I believe, hear me in the Holy Ghost refuge. There is about to be a surge of prodigals that are coming. I, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, as clear as I can tell you, I want you to listen. There is a surge of prodigals that are coming to this church. It is imperative. It behooves you to continue praying. If you stop praying, pick those prayers back up and begin to declare them one more time because there is a limit to their backsliding. There is a limit to what they're reaching and all of a sudden there's going to be a prick on their heart and they're going to say, okay, I realize I had it better at the refuge. I had it better at the church and they're going to turn
0: around and...
1: I got more verses, but I'm done right now. The Holy Ghost is here. Abigail. Abigail, I'm going to rejoice with you this weekend and you're going to rejoice this coming April in your building dedication but let's not get lost in the rejoicing let's not just be enamored with the brick and mortar you put so much effort to get this brick and mortar, may the effort to get brick and mortar never exceed the effort to reach a soul may we be reminded that there is a coming king in a lost world I wonder if there's some inner in this room. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but here's the power of your prayer. I was so backslidden. I was so far from God. I fought tooth and nail, but one day my parents, they kept interceding for my soul, though it seemed hopeless. And my brother at Bible college, a burden gripped his heart. A spirit of intercession got a hold of him. And your pastor, my brother, went into an elevator shaft and interceded for my soul. And I'm telling you, I thank God for an Abigail. I thank God for a church That intercedes. I preach because they've prayed. Come on, church. Who knows what preachers are coming from your prayers? This altar is open right now for some deep intercession. This altar is open right now for you to go to war on the floor, go to war for a soul. The prodigal is coming. The prodigal is coming. The prodigal. Come on, Abigail, come on, Abigail, intercede. As soon as Zion travails, as soon as Zion travails, come on, is there a lost soul that you want to see in this house? You're not going to do it with dry eyes. Do you want to see a lost soul in this room? You're not going to do it by looking at me right now. Your face has to hit an altar. Your voice has to hit a decibel level. Come on, are you desperate? Are you desperate? I don't got any more good points. Are you desperate? Come on, lift your voice. Sombreca. Wake up! We are closer than we've ever been! Wake up, Zion! Wake up! Come on, church. I beseech you by the mercies of God. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. I'm not angry at you. I'm not mad at you. I, I, I have a burden on my soul. I don't want you looking around. I don't want you looking at me. I want you to look to Jesus. Come on, talk to Jesus. This is so serious. We're living in the last days. We're so distracted. We're so distracted. We're so distracted. Wake me up, Jesus. Wake me up, Jesus. Wake me up, Jesus. Come on, Mama. Come on, Mama. You used to travail, but you lost your faith. Come on, pick your faith back up again. Pick your faith back up again. Knock that dust off. Shake that dust off your feet. Shake off discouragement. Shake off doubt. Shake off unbelief. And pray again. Pray again. Pray again. Pray again. Pray again. Come on, intercede for that soul that's on your heart right now. Come on, God gave you that burden. Pray for them. They need your prayer. They need your intercession. Come on, your voice matters, church. Your voice matters, church. Find your voice. Find your voice. From the abundance of the heart, let the mouth speak right now. From the abundance of the heart, let the mouth speak right now. If you don't know how to pray, let the spirit pray for you. Go ahead and make intercession. Let the spirit guide you. Let the spirit lead you. Speak in other tongues as the spirit gives the utterance, as the spirit enables you to pray in intercessory spirit right now. Come on, Father. Come on, Father. Come on, Father. La Come on, pray. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. The Bible says if you have an unbelieving spouse, the believing spouse, their prayer can sanctify them. Come on, if your children are lost... The Bible says your prayer can sanctify them. Without your prayer, without your belief, they remain unclean. But Paul told the Corinth church, your prayer can make them clean. Your prayer can sanctify them. Your prayer sets them apart from any other lost person that's absent of prayer. I want you to stand to your feet. I I feel a prayer burning in my spirit to pray over you right now. I ask every believer in this room to stand to your feet. I ask every believer to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And when I'm finished praying, I want you to lift your hands and lift your voice with agreement. In a celebratory manner, I want you to celebrate by faith. I believe in the name of Jesus. God just gave me a simple phrase to pray. I've never said it before. I've never prayed it before, but it's very clear in my spirit. I'm going to begin to pray, and I don't know what it's going to stem off into, but God wants you to hear these words, and when I pray it, and when I release you, I want you to receive it. I pray in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ over the Refuge Church right now. I am speaking to a segment in this room with damaged faith, with lost hope, with discouragement in their spirit because the prayer has become so repetitive where it feels that it hits off an iron heaven and smacks them in the face to insult them. But I speak against damaged faith and I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Christ that you would put virtue into their soul and that you would increase their measure of faith cause them to believe again let them know this season is a new season where the iron is open and there is an open heaven over their head and God their prayers are not in vain they are invested and I declare by the power and the authority of the spirit of the living God to heal faith right now I pray virtue into the soul and I pray hope that maketh not ashamed Lord we call those things which be not as though they were lift your hands lift your voice and celebrate by faith
0: rejoice
1: In the name of Jesus, damaged faith is healed. In the name of Jesus, damaged faith is healed. In the name of Jesus, hope returning to your bosom. Hope returning to your soul. Come on, rejoice, Zion. Rejoice, church. Celebrate. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength.